Blog Talk Radio. You cannot get rid of tyranny by fighting tyrants. For a very good reason. Tyranny doesn't exist independently of something else, which is more important. There is a something else which has to be defined before you know what tyranny is. What's that? It's opposite. Prison. Get a friend. Get informed. And get involved. We are not cattle radio. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I actually just logged in right behind my theme music, so that was very interesting. It is the 21st day of October 2015, uh, and it is 9.30 on the Eastern Standard Seaboard, and we will be here live for the next at least hour. Joining me in a few minutes will be Josh Wiley of StatelessHomesteading.com. And I'm sorry, folks. Give me one second. I didn't have all my... There we go. So, sorry for that little stammer right there. But um, as I was saying, joining me here in a few minutes will be Josh Wiley of StatelessHomesteading.com. And I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live somewhere uh, outside of Sonoya, Georgia, home literally and figuratively of The Walking Dead, as we protrude through this mindless array of individuals that call themselves citizens in a supposedly free country. And the object of the show, for those of you that are just tuning in, tuning in the first time, the show somewhat speaks for itself. We are not cattle, but it also is trying to shape the consciousness of the individual, show you that you have power as an individual, that we don't have to go at life as a collective in order for humanity to be successful. We can link up with other groups of individuals, have um, have common forms have common ideas, common goals, strive for those goals as groups, and then hit those goals, and then, once again, still maintaining the sovereignty of being an individual, which is what this whole nation was founded upon, was the idea of individuality, individual liberty, and and that's what we're here to try to safeguard and try to protect. And we're also here to safeguard you from the nonsense, which is called the mainstream media, and especially uh, over the next year, will be called uh, the 2016 uh, Presidential Reality Show. Because as we've seen in the past, the elections, no matter who's in office, nothing changes. The policies don't change. The the um, the bombings don't stop. The, the wars don't stop. Uh, the rhetoric is always very good from whomever is the the challenging candidate. And you see this kind of political football race take off now. Um, we're going to get into a lot of different topics tonight, but when you see the political football race, understand that that you'll have front runners in the beginning that are basically there as placeholders to be squashed and pushed off to the side. So you saw it early with somebody like Rand Paul that got a little bit of traction. They squashed him, moved him off to the side. Now you're starting to see it with Ben Carson where he's starting to get a little traction. The same kind of thing will happen to him. Donald Trump is a different animal altogether because he is very much individualistic, but um, but also very frightening in the fact that he would like to be the uh, the savior on the white horse, and that is a recipe for totalitarianism. For those of you that study history, you understand this, and you are probably listening to this show because of our understanding of history and our understanding of past events, 
tying those into a larger agenda uh, centered around the idea of world government and and stunting the ideas of individual liberty, individual sovereignty, and, and freedom itself. So in order to have world government, you must have a couple of things in place. Number one, you must have the the elimination of the family unit because if we get back to traditional tribalism or tribal culture, you will have a family unit that will supersede the or will be a part of the bigger unit or the bigger tribe. Well, they don't want that. They want us all to be one big tribe. So in order to do that, you have to break apart the families. Now, the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds figured out that they could do this and also um, brainwash the children while the mommy and daddy work. And that's why we have this whole empowerment movement of women going to work where the old culture of the United States was the the men were the breadwinners and the women would stay home and raise the children. And that's not to be you know a throwback or anything of that nature. I'm just trying to give people some background of why this show was set up and what we're trying to what we're trying to really break down for for people in our demographic. Our demographic I guess is going to range anywhere from from 20 and I don't want to slide it from 20 all the way up to somebody that's about 65, 70 that really does care and has actually picked up a history book in their life because the things that we're talking about here you're not going to learn from government schooling. Unfortunately, the government school system, the Prussian education system was set there to brainwash you into a modus of thinking, into a, a, a thinking uh, or a, a a methodology of thinking away from individual liberty, away from this idea of entrepreneurship and building a better world as an individual but part of a unit. No, it's meant to command and control you, starting from your mind, and that's why they called it kindergarten from for those of you that study um, German history will understand that that's where all of this came from. So if you get the kids early enough, then you can start to to put in thoughts into their mind about collective outcomes. And so what happens is it's better – the, the rationale ends up being, well, it's better for the collective, so we might have to, you know, we might have to sacrifice a few of the individual liberties. But what happens, as we've seen throughout history, as soon as you start sacrificing individual liberties – then you end up with totalitarianism because people are inherently lazy and they want to do what's easy. And typically what's difficult and what's challenging is most rewarding. I had a conversation with a with a gentleman that I met at a baseball game. We started talking about um, books that we read and and we ended up having a, a big conversation over in the corner because you, you very rarely run into people that actually read anymore. It's it's astonishing, and I'll I'll pull Josh up here. I know he's probably chomping at the bit to add all kinds of taglines to what I'm saying about um, CIA and 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 what they've said about the American people and and their their lack of um, their lack of the ability to read or the desire to. So we have this conversation regarding uh, regarding history and regarding education, and we start to to banter back and forth. Well, he ends up contacting me today, and we have a, a nice chat. And the chat was centered around the idea of stress. Now, stress can be good or bad. The majority of stress is actually, in the long term, is actually good. Now, let me explain. So in order for us to get stronger as a human being, we have to actually put our body through physical stress. So lifting weights, doing things that aren't really in our day-to-day -day activities, uh, cause stress, cause your muscles to be stressed, 
cause your body to um, ingest more calories. Calories turn into sugar. Sugar breaks down into energy. And then you use the energy to rebuild your muscle fibers and so on and so forth. And there's a lot more that goes into it, but I'm just being very bland. So that's one form of stress. The other form of stress is mental stress. Mental stress being like studying for a test, uh, reading something over and over, trying to memorize it. That's mental stress. What it does is it forces your brain, which is also a muscle, in order to it, – it forces it to, to make drastic changes in the way that the synapse connect, uh, forming uh, different patterns. And that's why you see patterns throughout history is because the people that want to read and understand this stuff enough – you'll start to see that there are glaring patterns uh, throughout history and human, uh, the way that humans act, the way that, uh, the way that elites act, the way that uh, royal families act. It's all very linear. And, and then you start putting the pieces together and say, wait, these are, these are all functions of a bigger unit, and then you're deemed a CIA term, a conspiracy theorist, because you can actually put uh, individual – individual thought processes together, look at a bigger picture, uh, have those synapses fire back and forth, and then um, kind of paint yourself a, a larger picture of the world. Now, is it is it all folded into one big um, secret group that meets in, you know that meets once a year and, and, and has cigars at Bilderberg? No, it is not about that. What we're talking about is a mindset. So once again, getting back to the form of stress. So we have physical stress, we have intellectual stress, and then we have emotional stress. So emotional stress is what you should be feeling as an individual. And let me explain uh, a little bit more, and then we'll bring on Josh. So the emotional stress that you should be feeling is the fact that you are, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a person walking around literally on a different planet than most people. And what I mean by that is you actually understand the, the functions of the Federal Reserve System. You actually understand the, the principles of free market economics uh, versus free enterprise. You understand the difference between um, totalitarianism and, and, and freedom, which are two drastically different things. But one can really masquerade as the other uh, given a high-tech propaganda machine, a.k.a. Nazi Germany. Um, the Russians did it a little bit differently. They did it with nationalistic tendencies, uh, still using propaganda, but pushing this idea of making a great society. And, and that's what terrifies me when, whenever you hear people talking about how we need to, to come together and make America great. No, the reason America was great was because it was individual institutions competing against one another to try to create a better society. And that's what typically works is, once again, the stress. So stress between corporations, stress between products in the marketplace. So you have all of these different stress ideas going on, but what does the human condition want? The human condition doesn't want any stress. The human condition just wants to exist. And that's the challenge that we face. Everybody that we encounter in the liberty movement, in, in, in the idea of changing somebody's thought processes – from from uh, you know fifteen thousand hours of government run education to maybe looking at something that's coming through the quote unquote news media as hey maybe that's not news hey maybe that's propaganda or take it one step further and ask a question like well where did they get that statistic from because I've got a really good example that I actually didn't clip but I'm going to try to find it when Josh pulled on here of 
of uh, a Nightline piece f- featuring uh, Anderson Vanderbilt Cooper. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Anderson uh, Cooper is a is a direct ancestor of the uh, of the Vanderbilt estate, and he was also um, did a stint at the CIA for a couple of months right out of college. But he said that he really didn't like it and decided he wanted to get into media. Okay, so that being said. But what he said, was, or what what the entire piece was about, was about the migrant situation. And he was over um, meeting these people coming over on a raft, and he said, well, 75% of them are Syrians. You know, the, the 75% of the people we talked to were Syrians. Well, that doesn't mean squat, because there were 4,000 people that came through that day. Do you think that he talked to all 4,000 people? Do you think that he talked to five people? If he talked to – let's see if you guys can do the math – if he talked to if he talked to four people and three of them were from Syria, then you have your seventy five percent so it's just this the way that you have to look at the statistics given by media the 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 agenda pushed by media the the um the one big label pushed by media, whether it's a headline or whatever. I used to have people that drove me absolutely nuts on Facebook because they wouldn't even read an article. They wouldn't even understand who the the person writing the article was, what the publication stood for, where they stood in the spectrum. They just saw a headline, and it matched their ideas, and they sent it out and said, here, I told you so. So with that being said, uh, the the king of I told you so, I guess, so we can, we can actually be uh, almost futurist in, in this perspective. Um, my friend and, and, and longtime, um, I guess longtime podcast partner now, uh, Josh Wiley of statelesshomesteading.com. Josh, thanks for coming on. And in case you haven't uh, noticed, I took some DMAE about 30 minutes ago, and I'm ready to roll, son. Wow. Well, Jake, well, Jake thanks so much thanks. for having me. You are uh, quite quite a bit amped up during that intro. I haven't taken DMAE, but I've got a cup of green tea here, so hopefully that'll get us through the next 45 minutes with ease. Well, the um, the other thing that I forgot to mention um, was why I haven't been on the air in so long. So long story short, folks, um, I did a podcast uh, about a month ago. Um, uh, like clockwork, I got sick as a dog the next week. And then the the week after that, um, my wife and child were um, were in a, in a in a car crash. And luckily, nobody was hurt um, except for the, the vehicle. But um I've been dealing with that for about the past week and a half, trying to get uh, our life back together. And so podcasting had to wait. But lo and behold, uh, your champions of reality and um, and and liberty are here. And um, Josh, what would you like to cover today? I gave you sort of a smattering of what was on my mind. Uh, what's what's top of your mind right now? Oh, man. Well, geez. Yeah, your intro uh, touched on a great number of topics, uh, and I know that you had uh, no- a number of uh, other things that you wanted to discuss over the course of the show. Uh, to be honest with you, though, my mind has just been so smart city, Agenda 21 focused over the past, well, geez, I guess the last few months, given the research that I'm doing over at statelesshomesteading.com, uh, that this latest IBM story, I guess, is what I think we should hit the gates or come out of the gates running with. Okay, so Josh is referring to, um, and Josh I'm sure loves this, because um, random parts through the day, I will send him a random email with a one-line title. And um, the title I sent to him with this was, um, 
I can't even. I think it had something to do with smart cities, but um, you don't say. I think was probably the title of it. So, um, the the article was about IBM uh, giving China the permissions to look at the source code. Of course, they're not allowed to copy it and do all this other stuff. So they whitewashed the hell out of this thing. But um, I'm going to read a little bit of the article, and then I'm going to I'm going to let Josh um, give his his breakdown. We can talk about the 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 existence of IBM, their role in this one world government, their role uh, that they're going to play in the in the idea of um, in the idea of anything cyber. Once again, I guess we're the cyber podcast of the liberty movement. But um, you know, everything cyber moving towards this idea of a smart city or the Internet of Things, and um, I'm in this industry. I hear the Internet of Things all the time, and it drives me absolutely bananas. But here we go. So um, this was out of Reuters. It was actually um, – I guess this was ripped off the Wall Street Journal, who were the first ones to report on it. So it says, the International Business Machines Corporation has agreed to let China review some of the product source code in a secure room. Uh, the Wall Street Journal has reported, citing two people briefed on the on the practice. It was not clear which products IBM was allowing them to review, or of uh, how much time the officials in the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology could spend at the code. And the Wall Street Journal said on Friday, and they give the the link to the code. Um, so the U.S. tech companies have been facing increased pressure from Chinese authorities to accept rigorous security checks before their products may be purchased, which is, this is all so ironic. I'll let Josh explain the irony here. Um, the rigorous security checks of their products before they are purchased by China's sprawling state-run financial institutions. Uh, gee, I wonder why the state-run financial institutions are all getting in line now, Josh. Uh, IBM, do, and this is a quote, IBM does not provide government access to client data or backdoors into their technology. Well, IBM doesn't, but we've got somebody that does. And the company has said that uh, the statement emailed uh, – excuse me. The company said in the statement emailed to Reuters on Friday. The company said that several countries uh, – it can conduct oh, – excuse me. I'm stammering here because I had to put this and paste it onto Notepad. So bear with me, people. The company said that in several countries, it can conduct limited demonstrations of specific aspects of its technology in a, quote, high-secure, controlled IBM environments that have no external communication links. I don't know what that would be, I guess. I guess you walk into a room and drop your cell phone in there. Um, IBM said that such demonstrations were not unique to the company, pointing its finger at the Microsoft Corporation to provide government uh, governments with controlled access to Microsoft Windows source code. Uh, gee, you can probably find that on the internet. And Microsoft signed um, one such government security program, the GSP, with China in 2003. Excuse me. In China, China's uh, bank regular or bank regulator temporarily suspended financial cyber. Um, and, uh, excuse me. China's bank regulator temporarily suspended financial industry cyber rules and would have them force the vendors um, to Chinese banks to hand over the secret source code and adopt the Chinese encryption algorithms after the feedbacks from the banks. And I have some more information on this. This is actually going on in America as well. Um, Beijing has considered its reliance on foreign technology and a, and a national security weakness especially after uh, former security agency contractor Edward Snowden, once again, Snow, snow Job, 
um, with the U.S. spy agency's plant code and American-made software to snoop in overseas targets. Uh, yeah, not to mention to snoop on, on you, the citizens. Uh, cybersecurity has been a significant irritant in China and the U.S. ties, both trading accusations and abuses. Uh, IBM has been more willing to strike closer partnerships with China's government, gee, I wonder why, uh, than many of its other fellow tech companies, said the Wall Street Journal on Friday, citing people familiar with the company's strategy. Huh. Interesting. China's Ministry of Industry and Technology could not be immediately reached for comment. Gee, you don't say that the Chinese are interested in IBM. So, Josh, after I absolutely butchered that, thank you, WordPad. That was absolutely horrible. Um, what do we make of this? And I will give you my banking spiel that I found out uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago that I told you about, and I'll kind of let the, the rest of the world know as well. Well, I think we should probably point out the obvious first and foremost, and that is the history of IBM. Let's go history of IBM with um, with involved with government acquisitions. We'll just say that. Oh, I mean, IBM is a is a deep political landmine in terms of its history going back to. I mean, it was founded in what the eighteen eighties, mm-hmm. uh, and so. Their their history with the Nazis is of course what first comes to mind uh, yeah. with Thomas J Thomas J Watson contracting through the Hollerith Corporation, which I believe IBM bought in the 1920s, um, and they exported the same technology that uh, the, cen- the U.S. Census Bureau was using for the Social Security card program. Uh, they just took those machines and leased them to the Germans uh, to run uh, uh, concentration camps. So this is the company that's now, uh, you know, has such dominance in the digital sphere. Of course, Thomas J. Watson, the guy who brokered those those deals to the Nazis, um, he is uh, named, or, or excuse me, uh, IBM's AI platform, Watson, is named after him. Uh, this this is the same uh, AI protocol that is IBM is now advertising on on television heavily, but it's the core of their uh, their pre crime software, IBM Analytics. Uh, mm-hmm. that sorts through social media and predicts threats, whatever that means, <laughs> before they happen. So welcome to Minority Report, folks. <laughs> so what does this mean to Josh Wiley when you hear a report like this coming out that China is looking at the source code um, from you know from somebody like an IBM, uh, given their history, given, given China's history of oppression? What, what, is this, what does this signify to you? Well, I guess we really should say, again, that giving the source code to the Chinese government, despite the fact that the article goes out of its way to state that they're not giving back doors to the Chinese government, don't worry about this, giving them the source code is essentially saying, well, here, you comb through it and you find the back doors yourself. Uh, So that's a bit of a disingenuous statement. It's part and parcel for the international banking market at this point. Uh, the Chinese are essentially saying, look, we're uh, a player in this new multipolar, multilateral world order now, uh, so we want the same level of criminality for our bankers with regard to software that you're giving the, this advantage to American companies. Uh, that's a technological transfer process that's been happening since at least the early 90s. So, the, again, that part isn't surprising. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what IBM is doing in China and other countries just as a whole I think is endemic of uh, the the 21st century version of someone like Anthony Sutton's work. 
Uh, Anthony Sutton is a historian that we talk about, Jake, on, on a fairly regular basis on this show and on my website. Uh, and he was a professor at the Hoover Institute at Stanford University uh, who wrote about technology transfers uh, from America to, at the time, the USSR and Nazi Germany. And this was largely based on industrial manufacturing capacity, um, military uh, technologies, the, these kinds of things. But in the 21st century, we have digital equivalents of this, uh, not only through things like cybersecurity, but just the nature of the digital age in general uh, and this neo-mercantile economy. Uh, you, you know, digital manufacturing, uh, or excuse me, di digital products and, you know, computer-based uh, technologies are really the the mover and shaker, the prime driver of the world economy at this point. Uh, so IBM is, of course, now putting their long-standing development in, in artificial intelligence to work in smart cities uh, in China uh, as well as Russia, uh, really all over the world. But th those are two, I think, unique examples in that they're countries that uh, Americans typically wouldn't think of as being necessarily allies of American geopolitical ends on the world stage. Yeah, and I think that um <clears throat> getting to the to the financial institution, you know that I I sell, you know, gear into these um into these groups. Um not saying that any financial institution in and of itself is is inherently bad. Um sometimes you do have uh people at the top that do want to uh do want to run game and and do have deals with governments in order to launder drug money and things like that. And those have all come out but what you see is a big push from from both sides of the of of the aisle here or of, of the world so to speak so you have china saying that they want to have a better grasp on their security um you know saying that they don't trust the the idea of the american source code but then again uh, american companies are shipping you know some some of their manufacturing to china to create um whether it's uh, poe switches or or any other kind of, of device. Uh, some of them are assembled in Japan. Some of them are assembled in China. It just really depends. But um, but what you're seeing now is both industries, uh, excuse me, both both nation states, extremely worried about one another. And to me, that that raises red flags in the fact that with all this idea of of the new cyber warrior that's coming down, uh, Josh, I don't know if you've seen as we have billboards all over the place. Uh, with three different universities that I drove by on my way to work the other day, offering a degree in cybersecurity. So what does that what does that mean to to me as the individual as the layman? Well, I know that the banking industry has changed their regulations as of um, effective November first, and what they are stating is that with these new regulations as far as cybersecurity goes, that ninety percent of the banking industry is going to are going to fail these audits. So what does that mean? Well, they have 180 days to come back and fix the audit. So it's a play for getting more equipment and more gear and maybe trying to stimulate the economy. But there's also another play at, at hand here. If you're talking about you know, 90 to 95% of these uh, banks are going to fail, well, who do you think are the 5% that are going to pass? The 5% that are going to pass are going to be the giant multi-mega banks that can afford to hire um, a third-party um, uh, security operations center to go and, and monitor their network on top of the people that are working on their network. So what it's doing is it's putting a financial strain to, to be able to compete in this marketplace, 
because these lower um, community credit unions and these smaller mom and pop banking uh, banking groups are not going to be able to afford to comply with these new regulations, and so they're either going to get bought up or they're just going to get puffed out of existence. So it's kind of like what you and I have talked about in the past, Josh. If you can't beat them through open free market um, economics, then you just change the regulations in order to shut down your competition. And that's you know me thinking of a dirty way to shut down somebody's competition. Obviously, being in sales, you have to think of ways to win and think of angles. To, to me, that looks like a pretty big angle from the from the mega banks, knowing that they have the unlimited resources in order to do things like this and still run a profit, whereas the the smaller competitive markets don't. So that's the one play for me. The other play is that they're specking out certain things in their requirements for cybersecurity that are going to put certain companies, and I'm not going to name names because it's not what the show is about. Um, it's not about um, you know the political goings-on at the higher level. But um, it's putting certain companies that may have... Um, that may have an emblem that has four different colors on it, putting them in a very precarious situation because they won't allow an operating system that they have natively created to run on this secure network because of its vulnerabilities. So you have all of these different things coming to fruition and couple that with cybersecurity, and it just all looks anything that is coming down the pipe from a cyber standpoint it seems like that there is about to be either one of two things, in my opinion. There is either about to be an explosive boom in that industry, uh, thinking that this is going to be the industry that's going to bail out the the um, the real estate bubble that's about to to go down, uh, as, as far as people losing, you know, starting to lose uh, purchasing power, or it's going to be another bubble that they're going to create. In order to, you know, in order to transition, as we all know, Keynesianism has to be, uh, you have to ride bubbles in order for it to be successful. So maybe this is the new creation of the bubble, Josh. Maybe it's the creation of the, of the employees to work on the, on the network. Maybe it's the creating the need for um, security analysts in a network operations center. Maybe it's the need for more gear. Maybe it's the need for, you know, Having having a new kind of network, uh, given the um, the newer technologies now, where you can actually uh, digitize ports and and create those through a server. So there's a lot of these new trends that are going on. I just think it's fascinating, um, especially given what happened with the CIA director. I don't even want to read that article because it's kind of nonsense about how um, the the CIA director Brennan had his email hacked. Uh, by a high school student that didn't agree with American foreign policy, uh, so they say, so they claim, and and of course the CIA comes out immediately and says that um, that that's a um, that that's what do they call it? Oh, it's a crime. Well, yeah, but how come when you spy on us and violate the Fourth Amendment, you know, and, and violate my right to privacy, how how is that? How how is that fair? It, it's funny that they go through this. They go through. We've taken this giant leap, Josh, from where the Constitution doesn't exist, that you have no inherent rights as a citizen, and that anything that happens to government is a crime. But if government does it to the citizens, it's not. So we have officially entered la la land. Of course, what the guy probably did by hacking his email was a crime at some extent. 
But what I'm trying to do is put it in, in, in retrospect for people. Guys, this is happening to you on a daily basis. If you leave your email in your inbox over 180 days, they do not need a search warrant to go in and grab that email. So welcome to it, people. It's the double standard galore. Welcome to America, the, the, the land of, of the um, – what, what do you call it, Josh, where it's a, it's a double standard? What is it called? Oh, the land of hypocrisy? <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I had a I had a uh, a DMAE brain fart right there. Mm, yeah, indeed. Yeah, all over the cybersecurity world there. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know where exactly you want to take that from there. Um, well, uh, I, mean, I had something on the tip of my tongue. Okay. Well, I mean, we can transition into into the idea of um, of free speech. Uh, Alex well, Jones. Well, go ahead. No, if you want to mention something else, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Well, I mean, a few things. First of all, I was just thinking about these new uh, software require. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess they're software requirements for uh, for this banking software. That, uh, no, oh, uh, uh, you talking about the? It's it's a requirement that um, that in addition to the staff on hand, uh, depending on the size of the banking institution, they will have to have a third party entity uh, monitoring their network as well, twenty four seven, three sixty five. Yeah, and uh, I guess a, a component of that that we were talking about is the the manufacturer who meets those standards and another popular operating system manufacturer who uh, has their OS is named after, I don't know, a glass hole in your wall, let's say that, um, is will not meet those standards. And, of course, it brings to mind this idea of, you know, you mentioned earlier credit unions. I, I can't think of a, a credit union that I've ever walked into or even a small-town bank that didn't run uh, this particular operating system uh, for all of their banking needs. Uh, so the fact that these people would essentially be squeezed out of the market is disturbing, but at the same time potentially hopeful um, because, of course, the, their biggest corporate competitor in this field, uh, the company that we were talking about earlier this show, uh, giving their uh, uh, source code to, to Chinese banks, uh, is one of these companies that do meet these requirements. Um, but so do a number of open source uh, Linux uh, or Unix-based operating systems. Right. So yeah. the, at the same time, you know, it, this could be seen as a potential squeeze uh, to sell expensive proprietary hardware to small-time banks that can't afford it. Uh, maybe it will also kind of be the moment at which these small-town banks uh, really get serious about actual cybersecurity uh, and decide to to transfer uh, their their business to a more open source platform. Um, but well, you were sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, man. You just you triggering triggering stuff. I'll wait until you're done. Go ahead. Uh, I I just had a, a a few more points because you did also talk about the the kind of nature of job stimulus uh, and the uh, the the fact that these cybersecurity fields and degrees are going to fill a, a large section of the unemployed uh, in this country, at least er, at least unemployed degree holders, which there are quite a few of. Um, and I, I, the more and more I study smart city technology, the more and more I see it as a potential kind of global New Deal scenario, where it's this massive funding of an infrastructure program 
in in the case of smart cities, of course, to blanket the city with Wi-Fi, interconnect everything to the Internet of Things, put up solar panels and wind farms everywhere, massive infrastructural overhauls. And as part and parcel to that will be a, a software and a hardware requirement that is that are going to have to be in place to, to pull this kind of stuff off. So it, in a sense, yeah, it is almost a, a worldwide economic stimulus plan. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily in... Uh, um uh in response or in response to the global depression of 2008 or if this is uh something that's a uh, uh, kind of a plan at the super na- supranational level to either avoid a wider global military conflict or potentially even something that has to be in place uh to get the ball rolling after everything has gone to hell in a handbasket uh mm-hmm. I'm not sure but it's this disturbing trend of the militarization of the web uh, is certainly an aspect of that, and it comes full circle with smart cities uh, in this idea of integrating things that necessarily shouldn't necessarily be connected to the internet to the internet, so that Correct. it that 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 be, being online becomes a pervasive uh, pervasive notion, and it's not something that you log on or log off of. It's just around you at all times. Well, you know, staying on the topic of the net, this is this is kind of where I I'm glad that we're we're flowing this way and, and I'm glad I have a decent transition for this. Uh Matt Drudge was on Alex Jones's show a couple of weeks ago and once again uh not uh not not showing his face but um but he was on the show and, and he made this comment and I hope I got this queued up right. So um talking about the the future of of the internet from from our perspective and what we see now and what it could be in the future right as well but have they gone collectively insane on on a control freak bent well or, or I, I is would, there a strategy i would also advise people to not waste their time on this i had a supreme court justice tell me to my face it's over for me I said matt it's over for you they've got the votes now to enforce copyright law you're out of there they're going to make it so headlines you can't even use headlines to have a Supreme Court justice say that to my face, that it's over, they've got the votes, which means time is limited. Time is not forever. How many more moons and sunrises will you see in your life uh, rise and fall? There's not that many. It's a small amount. So for people to be saying with this attitude, oh, I'll get on with my life and my greatness Sometime. No. No, you can't. We're being enslaved now, and, and that's it. Under the TPP, they admit you can't put a headline to the New York Times. You're sending massive traffic to them. They're claiming you're taking their words. This is insane. And you had the Justice Stephen Breyer said we need to look at a global law now. Remember just recently? Getting it lined up, up with it. So they're getting ready for these decisions to come. You thought Obamacare was shocking. You thought some of these other decisions were shocking. Wait until these copyright laws work their way up and the Supreme Court decides you cannot have a website with news headlines linking across the board. Then that will end for me. Fine. I've had a hell of a run. It's 20 years next year or 20 years about now. Hell of a run. I couldn't, I couldn't have gone any further. Farther. I feel completely I have gone as far out of the galaxy as I can on this. I still want to stay out here, but I've gone pretty damn far for what one individual can do in this culture. But I'm talking about the future. So I don't know why they've been successful in pushing everybody into these little ghettos. 
uh, these Facebooks and these tweets and uh, these oh, Instagrams, there we go. these Instas. This is ghetto. This is ghetto. This is corporate. They're taking your, they're taking your energy. They're taking your energy, and you're getting nothing in return. Nothing. They're dumbing the language down. Yeah, so that was the uh, clip, and I actually cut off half of that, and I'll have to piece that in as I as I pick up the, the transmission here. So hold on, Josh. I have to I have to make some adjustments on the fly. But um, what is what does that signify to you? I mean, you and I have talked about the TPP at nauseum. We've talked about the TPIP. We talked about all these different policies that could be coming down. Where he, what, what resonated with me the most out of that whole thing was he was talking about um, a, a global deal that we need a global standard. And and China was the first one a week and a half ago to come out and say, "Hey, you guys need to adopt our policy regarding the internet." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the, for, Jake for the first time in. Yeah, since I've been involved in alternative media, uh, some of these developments that are coming down the pike for internet-based regulation in general uh, are incredibly disturbing. I know that the FCC put off the regulation of the internet as a utility, um, which is essentially is licensed, managed, you know, down down to a T. Um, they put that off until late next year. Um, but as you know, if you view this in conjunction with the TPP and a lot of its new copyright laws and infringements, then it would, it's not a far cry to imagine a world, at least as a U.S. citizen, where you, know, you as a website owner have to get licensed, much like someone broadcasting ham radio would need to, to be licensed, because that's an example of the FCC regulating the airways like a utility. It's, it's called amateur radio. You pay your $15, you take the test, you get your little QR code number deal, your call sign, and you know, if, uh, if you aren't you know, very vigilant in calling it out every 15 minutes, someone reports you, and you get a knock on the door from the FCC. Um, and this is going to be the model that will be used for websites. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll get your approval. It'll probably be some kind of SSL certificate that you'll stamp on your website and say, I'm .gov approved. Uh, and you will have to abide by the ghettoization of the Internet, as Matt Drudge was talking about there. Um, so what that means for little enclaves like my website, Jake, and, and yours, I'm not entirely sure at this moment I mean, if you're if you're web if you're an American citizen, but you're hosting your website out of the country, uh, what are the rules there? Uh, you know, or if you're an American citizen living abroad and and posting a website in English for you know, and most of your viewers are American, what does that mean for you? Uh, I don't know how this is necessarily enforceable just yet, um, but if it's a protocol that's built into you know, for example, IPv6 as it's still being developed. Um, then it's going to be really hard to to be a dissenter in this country. It's ar- it already is increasingly difficult just to get people to listen to you. Uh, we already have uh, algorithms on these digital ghettos like Facebook and Twitter that bury posts uh, based on you know your your political opinions or your opinions in general or the types of links that you share. Um, so th- this kind of future. I don't know if if we can get away with doing this kind of stuff for for many more years, Jake. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's I feel that way more as as each day passes. As the bureaucracy builds and as the politicians start to take away more and more of our liberties, that's kind of why I started my rant the way that I did. I 
I knew that I wanted to get to this point, but um, we're, we're now here, and that is um, totalitarianism, guys, is coming. And it is it is not going to be pretty. With the with the way that they have conditioned the public to accept uh incremental destruction of human freedom, uh incremental destruction of ideas, of of even even something as simple as as having a conversation with somebody. If if somebody doesn't like your speech anymore, they're going to call you either racist, sexist or, or something along those lines, a demonstrative term, because they can't deal, or a conspiracy theorist, or, or something like that, because they can't deal with having a conversation anymore, and it's really becoming it's really becoming dangerous. It it is. I hate to butt in here, and I, I know that this might kind of draw on a topic that we haven't necessarily touched on over the course of this conversation, but I think it's worth bringing up anyways. Um, because are, are you, as, are you, you're gonna you're gonna go through a sex change and become um, become jo, uh, Josephina. Yeah, jo, Joseph, uh, Joshina Joshina Jenner's is my new name. Yeah, I'm keeping I'm keeping the dick though, just in case I, I change my mind and I want to sign a, a reality TV show deal in three <laughs> or four years. Oh, for by the way, people, um, Bruce Jenner, that is a complete. And other money grab. That, that, that anyway. Go ahead. Go ahead, man. I can't wait for the for the second reality TV show once he changes back. I was a woman. You know, he'll be on the oh, View. It'll talk, be great. Talk about his experience as a woman. Yeah, you can see it all lining up. That's pretty good marketing. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, but yeah, courtesy of No Agenda Show, uh, hitting hitting your listeners in the mouth as well, Jake. Um, mm-hmm. But. Uh, yeah, the I oh, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh yes, 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 yes. Uh, Russia. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, Jake, but it's it's been on my radar now for at least a couple of years. But especially as the Syria business has been going down, and that's this almost overt worship of Vladimir Putin um, within alternative media circles. Um, you know. Oh, and just, you have fourteen minutes. Please do break down the revelation that you you told about the other day. If you're if you're okay with going public on this because I, I thought this was absolutely fascinating what you found out. Uh, in terms of... Oh, just because you and I could never really put our fingers on where Putin came from, how he got um, the notoriety he did, and what, you know, why he's why he kind of left alone in this idea of the multipolar new world order. And, and, oh, yeah. You know, relationships, that's what you found was like, was very was very interesting and talking about the the kind of funnel uh, shell corporations that he has. So, I mean, do you want to go into that briefly, or were you thinking about going into something different? I think it I think it'd be fascinating for our audience to know about it. Oh man, that that's such a huge topic. Um, right, we'll, and... we'll take it next time. We'll, we'll 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 get into that in the next show. I'll save you about twenty minutes, and we can go into the history of Vladimir Putin and, and why he is. And why he is left alone in this multipolar new world order, whereas somebody like Donald Trump, who who love him or hate him, he's he's not liked by a lot of these elitist guys because he thinks on his own, and that uh, that doesn't fly very well. So go ahead well, I, and I, go into the I, the hero worship of of uh, Vladimir Putin. 
I'm not well. I'm not necessarily sure that I share those opinions on Donald Trump, uh, but <laughs> the Vladimir Putin. I'm going to have an article coming out on what you were talking about earlier uh, with regards to Vladimir Putin's uh, FSB connections uh, to, um, to to the to these Chechen terrorists that that the CIA are also coincidentally running. Uh, there's a lot of questions there. Uh, that that will be coming out on statelesshomesteading.com here pretty soon. I just posted uh, another article on smart cities and Agenda 21 in Russia, and that that'll be a bit of an intro to this Vladimir Putin article because some of the corporations, the Western corporations who are affiliated with the Trilateral Commission, who are lining the Kremlin's pockets right now, show up in this examination of these Russian smart cities. Uh, so that's it's kind of just endemic of internationalist corruption between both nations that are, while they fight each other on a battlefield, you know, they're still shaking hands, you know, greasing deals uh, in this multipolar world order. But I just find it very, I find it very interesting, Jake, that as there is this huge ramp up of uh, this almost worship of Vladimir Putin within the alternative media, um, there's, we're also seeing the ramping up of uh, conflicts between Washington and Moscow on the geopolitical stage. Uh, and as these new internet regulations start to come into place, I don't think it's a far stretch of the imagination for people to start connecting the alternative media with Vladimir Putin worship at a time when America is perhaps waging two to four proxy wars abroad against Russia. Uh, and these will kind of be, you know, uh, dictatorial laws enacted here at home. For you know, uh, they, they, under things like the Espionage Act, or as a, as a counter propagandist for you know uh, Russian forces, as a, as a communist, a, a second Red Scare, and kind of right. lumping in alternative media with that worldview as a whole. Uh, and it, that sounds kind of ludicrous now, but in a world where we're looking a year or two down the line, again, where the internet is licensed like a utility. And you've got to take your little exam and pay the government your thirty-five, forty dollars, or whatever it is to run your website. Uh, it, it, you, it might be a little bit outlandish for you to go to jail for sharing links that are sympathetic or, or antithetical to an Anglo-American worldview. Um, but it, it's not that far stretch of an imagination for them to say, "Well, I'm sorry, sir, but you uh, spread uh, Russian propaganda on your website, uh, or you've been affiliated with a website that has spread Russian propaganda." So therefore, you are not getting your uh, your website renewal this year. We're very sorry, but you're no longer allowed to post content. If you want to post content, you can go into one of our ghettos like Facebook, but you're not doing it from your own server. Well, and that's uh, another thing that you and I had this, you know, we kind of hashed, hashed this theory out on my ride to work one day, uh, going over the idea of having, uh, piggybacking on what you said, having any alternative view of, what whatever the establishment here in America says, anything that's alternative to that, you could be deemed to be an, an agitator or a, a sympathizer or, or something of that nature. You know, just something as as easy as you know pointing out the the, the church committee and and and, um, and other really just blaring, um, you know, blaring congressional hearings that. That talk about the blending of the Russian and, and American establishment together, trying to create a, a world order out of the two uh, superpowers, basically uh, blending communism with American capitalism, and then and then merging the two together. Eventually, uh, given what Norman Dodd found out, um, so 
you know, I, I don't find that to be a big leap at all, and I don't think our listeners would find that to be a big leap. Look at how far we've come in the three years that I've been on air as of, uh, as of February. In the three years that I've been on air, I went from understanding what the TPP was, understanding that the Federal Reserve was kind of dangerous, but now we're at a point where where people are being arrested for their political speech in Germany – for for speaking out saying that they don't want migrants to come they're being arrested i mean you're having this once again this creeping totalitarianism come through and just because it doesn't make headlines in your town doesn't mean that we don't have to be wary of it and that's what the whole theme of the show was tonight was getting back to the basics um and in order to use a football analogy blocking and tackling if you're a liberty-minded person If you are a person that believes that the individual doesn't need government to succeed, all we need is a level playing field, not a rigged casino like the Federal Reserve System, not a rigged casino like Wall Street. We need a free market system to where the best ideas get promoted and they get get tweaked, not with some silly patent, but they get tweaked and then we innovate and we grow as a society. If that's how you believe the world could work and should work, then this is the show for you. If you believe that we should have some, you know, mommy or daddy or authority figure sit above us and tell us how to live our lives, then you're one of those people I was talking about earlier where you're intellectually and emotionally and physically probably lazy. And you just don't want to put in the work, which is fine. That's your right as a human being. But you don't get to curtail my right to succeed. You don't get to curtail my right to to speak my mind and to go and fight for something that I believe in. That doesn't that doesn't work just because it makes you feel uncomfortable, which is where we're kind of going with this. So, you know, um, on top of that, Josh, I think that here is something that we need um, that we need to discuss. And for any of you listening to the show, if if you have friends that are Hillary Clinton supporters, she's going to get the nomination from the Democratic Party. So all you Bernie Sanders guys out there, once again, we'll see you guys in the anarchist forums next year after Bernie gets blown out. Or he, maybe he gets – because he did cozy up to her in the debate, so maybe he will get the vice presidential, and then that's how they're going to try to swing everything is to get uh, Hillary and Bernie ticket, might grab some of the young voters – But this is what we need to be afraid of. If you understand individual liberty, the rhetoric that is coming out of the Democrats is toxic rhetoric that could really destroy any any kind of individual freedom. And number two, it can destroy any chance that we would have against an authoritarian, totalitarian regime. Not to say that I believe guns can beat drones. But if you don't have the ability to defend yourself and your family, you're a serf. You're you are not even a slave. You're a serf. You're a renter. We're already renters anyway, given a lodial title versus real estate. So why would you want it to be any more? So let's go to what Hillary Clinton said. I got two clips, and then I'll get Josh's take, and then we'll wrap the show. Uh, we'll get to the McCain stuff next time. We'll just we'll just do a whole serious show next time. Josh, does that work for you? I think that, that uh, sounds serious. great, man. I think we should really pull all that stuff together because we got we got too much info here to cover in in the few minutes that we got left. So uh, here we go. Hillary Clinton uh, praising Australia, which I actually did. Um, I'll talk. I'll talk about my 
experience with uh, my Australian friend down in Miami um, after the clip. But uh, here's her touting how we can utilize Australians' gun back gun buyback program to really uh, curtail gun ownership here in America. Here it is. The Australian government, as part of trying to clamp down on the availability of automatic weapons, offered... Uh, a- all right, first of all, that is a lie. It was not a curtailing of automatic weapons. They didn't have an automatic weapon problem. It was a curtailing of firearm ownership, period, the end. There is no automatic weapons. She loves to throw... Uh, Democrats and whoever these anti-gun people are love to throw automatic weapons in when they commit less than 5% of the crimes. So stop it. Stop with your nonsense. If you want to have a real conversation, let's at least use the right terms. Good price for buying hundreds of thousands of guns. Okay, all right, Josh. So I'm sorry. We're going to have to start this thing over. Just listen to the whole thing and then tell me where where the um, where the 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 rhetoric is and and just if you got a notepad or something uh scratch down the keywords that she uses here and we'll play it again if if you don't grab them and I'll I'll point them out to you and then we'll play them again. So here we go. The Australian government as part of trying to clamp down on the availability of automatic weapons offered uh, a good price for buying hundreds of thousands of guns and then they basically clamped down going forward in terms of having you know, more of a background check approach, more of a permitting approach. Um, But they believed, and I think the evidence uh, supports them, that by offering to buy back those guns, they were able to, you know, curtail the supply and to set a different standard for gun purchases uh, in the future. Now, communities have done that in our country. Several communities have done gun buyback programs. But I think it would be worth considering doing it on the national level if that could be uh, arranged. Remember, I know uh, after the uh, terrible 08 financial crisis, I think one of the uh, programs that President Obama was able to get in place was cash for clunkers. Remember that? You know, getting them off the road. And uh, it was partly a way to get people to buy new cars because we wanted more economic activity. And it was partly a way to get old models that were polluting too much sort of off the road. So I think that's worth considering. I, I don't know enough details to tell you what, how we would do it or how it would work. But certainly the Australian example is worth looking at. The Australian government. Okay. All right. So, Josh, what did I got to turn your volume down? So once again, editing on the fly here. Um what did you hear as far as uh, keynotes in there or highlights that she was trying to uh, get across? Well, certainly the term "different standard" rung out to me as the buzzword of the of of the conversation. Don't you think? I want you to listen for for this because this is the trap word that you that that most people I guess most people didn't pick it up. I heard it right away. But um she she says she says that they gave them a fair price for the guns. So what this entails is it it triggers this idea in somebody's head, well, well it's a fair price. It's fair, you know, it's a it's a good deal. So that's, you know, trying to squash an argument that doesn't exist. 
The argument isn't about how much fucking money you're going to get for your gun. It's the fact that you're going to have your gun either taken or you're selling your firearm. That's it. It doesn't matter how much they're going to give you for it. So let's listen to it again and see if you guys catch the, the real harsh rhetoric. That's number one. And then the number two one, like Josh said, was they set a new standard. Once again, this was not about the abolishment of, of semi-automatic or automatic firearms. This was about taking fire, oh, this woman taking the firearms away from the people. And my friend that lived in Australia, um, we actually got to ride around the car quite a bit. He he played a lot of poker, and so did I. So we went and played poker a lot uh, while we were down there doing some product training. And there was a casino like ten minutes away, so we got to ride in the car and chat. And he goes. He goes, I'm amazed you guys don't have a, a higher crime rate here with all the guns. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He goes, well, yeah, everybody in America owns guns. And I said, well, yeah, that's why we don't have a, a high crime rate. And he goes, well, that he goes, it doesn't, isn't it scary? I go, well, well, not really. I own a gun. Why is it scary? And he said, well, I just think it'd be nerve nerve wracking to have, know that everybody's got a gun. And I said, well. Well, what would be more nerve-wracking? Somebody coming to carjack you and you don't have a gun or or somebody coming or somebody not carjacking you because they know that you probably do have a gun. And he goes, "Wow, we just never hear about it like that." So they get the rhetoric in their country too that oh, the Americans they're all just wild west and they got all these guns and they got a gun problem. So it it's a global phenomenon. The idea of being able to protect yourself and not relying on the government is seen as a as a um i guess as as bad behavior across the globe but uh just the first few uh few seconds of this um of this clip and then then I'll uh, go to the next one Josh and then we'll we'll get final thoughts here the australian government as part of trying to clamp down on the availability of automatic weapons offered uh, a good price for buying hundreds of thousands of guns and then a good price so now do you now do you see why that inflection really kind of got me off my uh, got me off my seat there, Josh? That's very interesting because I, I never thought of it as a sales pitch in that respect. But when you think about it like that, it, it makes sense. Yeah, because I, I I always hone in on a different standard transforming America. You know these kind of buzzwords that would signal you know the 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 heralding of this age of transitions. Hope of but that hope that does change, a good catch. Hope yeah, hope and change indeed. All right, so here's uh, Hillary Clinton saying once again that um, that we need to take back um, the Second Amendment from the extremists. This was um, this was very interesting, and this rhetoric is my God, Josh. If this woman gets in, if this woman gets in the White House, I, I mean, you want to talk about censorship? Holy monkey. We won't even be able to sneeze, and we'll get thrown in the hooskow. So here we go. That has taken over this debate. I was really struck when Dick Sweat was reading the letter from Ronald Reagan and the fact that, you know, when Dick was facing a very hard choice, which many people believe cost him his seat in Congress because he voted for the crime bill, which contained the Brady bill, which led to the you know, background checks, which led to more than 2 million people not getting guns who were felons or domestic abusers or otherwise uh, ineligible. Or otherwise ineligible. What is the otherwise? Who knows? Ah, you're just otherwise ineligible. You know, he paid a big price for that. Mental hygiene. The letter from Ronald Reagan. In fact, when the NRA was 
on one of their, you know, tirades, tirades. and calling the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms enforcers, uh, you know, jackbooted thugs. Oh, wait for it, Josh. This is my favorite. So look at who comes to the rescue to the NRA or who comes to the who who sides with Hillary Clinton. Can you can you take a guess at who sided with Hillary Clinton and this other gentleman uh when the NRA called the uh the ATF uh, jackbooted thugs? Who uh do you think would be a prime candidate for that one? Oh, there there are so many to pick from. Oh, I, I'm not, Eric Holder. Nope. He is from the other party. He is uh, from Ronald Reagan. Nope. Uh he was a hmm. president though. He was a president from uh, George H. W. Bush. And we roll the clip. President George H. W. Bush resigned as an R member and said, No, I'm not gonna be associated with that. So I mean, ideally what I would love to see is Gun owners, responsible gun owners, hunters form a different or Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Oh, I love it. Organization and take back the Second Amendment from these extremists. Okay, um, for those of you playing the home game, the the word you are listening for is the cop-out word that all authoritarians go to when they want to re- repeal the Second Amendment. Josh, what is the word that we're searching for today? Hunters. That's all guns are good for, Jake, is hunting. There's no other use for a gun. <laughs> We've got it. So for those of you playing the home game, uh, sorry for the very loud Mario coin right there, but uh, here's the rest of the clip. I, I've got nope. some very bad audio challenges here. Today, I'm having to go up and down on my dial so much. So forgive me, guys. I'm going to go through level later and get this done. But um, I'm going to have to apologize on, on the on the front end that um, um, my recording did not take. Actually, I deleted it when I stopped the uh, Matt Drudge clip. It deleted my first half of my show. So there will only be the Blog Talk Radio POS audio quality for this broadcast. But next broadcast, we will go back and do it back in high definition again. But for all of you playing the home game, here's Hillary Clinton talking about the responsible gun owners, the hunters. So, I mean, ideally, what I would love to see is gun owners, responsible gun owners, hunters form a different organization and take back the Second Amendment from these extremists. Yes. Because she's not an authoritarian, Josh. Because no, Jake, it, it it very clearly states in the Constitution that that guns are for delicious venison. Didn't you read that? You need to read between the lines. You know, these, these guys were were different caliber of writers, Jake. You know, there's some subtext there that you're missing. Hillary Clinton has a law degree. I don't know if you have a law degree, but just reread it sometime. You'll 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 see what she means. Hey man, my argument to all those people that use that stupid that use the stupid cop out, well, well they didn't have automatic weapons back then. Yeah, but they had effing cannons. Do you see them outlawing effing home cannons? You could have had a cannon, you know, 4 meters around sitting in the middle of your home and nobody would have said anything. Because they understood the principles of individual liberty and individual privacy and and guess what? 
the one piece of property that you're guaranteed to own or supposedly own the entire time you exist on this planet, your body. That's right. Your body is your property. Nobody can take it from you without force or without coercion. But they do it all the time. Josh, uh, closing comments for the show, and then we'll wrap this one. And hopefully, uh, uh, barring any illnesses, um, car crashes, um, meteorites, or anything like that, we will be back here uh, next Thursday um, instead of next Wednesday. Sorry about the the mix-up in the show. But, um, hey, got to keep you guys on your toes, you know. New World Order is keeping us on ours. We gotta we gotta reciprocate it all the way down to the um, to the audience. So, go ahead, Josh. Some closing thoughts for this. Yeah, well, just to put a nice little bow on this one, Jake, um, because you did, of course, start this conversation before playing uh, Hitlery there. Um, the you talked about you know the Australian gun buyback program that that she mentioned, uh, and this, of course, has happened in all of the Commonwealth nations, Jake. We've got Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Great Britain have all passed this very, very similar measure uh, in that you're either, your firearms ownership is either very restricted um, or it's uh, licensed, usually a combination of the two. And this is what they're trying to foist on America. And the new Commonwealth of Nations, in the form of the United Nations, uh, we, of course, all of those countries that I just mentioned are signatory to the Small Arms Treaty. Uh, and a lot of people, especially in the conspiracy movement uh, or of a conspiratorial worldview, uh, you know, they think about, you know, blue helmeted troops and uh, the, Barack Obama signs the U.N. Small Arms Treaty and they start kicking indoors tomorrow. No, that's not how it works. You know, all of these, um, I think Agenda 21 is an excellent example of this. You know, uh, all these countries that went to Rio 92 are signatory to Agenda 21. Now, Agenda 21 doesn't give any specifics as to, uh, you know, what has to uh, go down for your country to meet these sustainable development goals. It has no organized infrastructure in place to carry them out. Yet, regardless, these entities start springing up all over the world with U.N. grant money that are enacting the process. Uh, And the U.N. Small Arms Treaty has worked very much the same way. In that, you know, it, it, by the time you realize that these, these motions are being set into place, it, it might be a little bit too late. Uh, America, of course, presents uh, an interesting problem in that, <coughs> excuse me, uh, countries like the UK, uh, you know, Australia, of course, Australia required uh, a, 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 sh- a mass shooting to, and, and the uh, media hype that, that preceded it. To, uh, to to enact the, the U.N. Small Arms Treaty there. Uh, these other countries more or less did it through force of propaganda. Uh, America is a far more difficult situation. Uh, so I, I find it hard to believe that uh, this could happen on a, a national legislative basis. I, again, turn more to something like the U.N. Small Arms Treaty, uh, again, in realizing the dollar's precarious position as the world reserve currency right now. Uh, I don't see it being, uh, or I don't think it's too outlandish to envision a future in which you're talking about a kind of new new monetary order uh, and a uh, and a bailout package of some sort that's denominated not in dollars but, for example, something like the SDR that's now uh, a basket of currencies, perhaps plus uh, something like gold. 
Um, and, and America getting a bailout very much the way that third world nations do today through the IMF, the World Bank, and the Bank of International Settlements. And a part of that uh, being signatory to this uh, bailout package would be something like, well, Mr. and Mrs. America, if you want us to cut you your check uh, to feed your family, then please turn in your firearms. Uh, that's, that's a scenario in which I could envision Americans that would previously be very reticent to do so um, actually disarming themselves deliberately. Uh, I, I can't envision another way that uh, the American people are disarmed without some kind of messy <laughs> scenario, um, but that, that's how I see it playing out in my mind, Jake. Yeah, it's just, it's the, the numbers are, are, the good news is, is for individual liberty lovers that um, the numbers are in our favor. There's 300 million guns that the government knows about, and that's, I mean, when you only have 200,000 police, that really doesn't, uh, the numbers don't line up too well. Of course, you would have those uh, statists that would go and, and turn them in right away, especially if, you know, Donald Trump says, hey, we need to just go back to using these for hunting. He's also, um, Kim, I think he was also one talking about banning assault weapons. So it's just really odd. Like uh, Donald Trump's a fascinating guy. Uh, the the reason I think he's running for president is to uh, set up a position so he can shill for Hillary. Uh, that was that's been my thesis the entire time is having him uh, win the Republican nomination somehow, get up there and then um, and then have the the Democrats swoop in for the big for the big win. But what they're saying is that um, that anybody that aligns with um, with uh, or lines against Hillary is going to going to beat her. I just don't see that happening if she grabs Bernie Sanders, which I'll make the prediction now, um, freaking year before the election, it will be a Hillary and Bernie Sanders ticket out of the Democrats and who, out of the laughing stock of Republicans or neocons or whatever you want to call these things that masquerade as conservatives now. Um, whoever wins out of that nonsense will will be ultimately crushed under the dynamic duo of the totalitarianism and the socialist. So doesn't that sound like a fun future? So sorry for a downer at the end of the show, everybody. We started off with a bang and we're leaving with a whimper. But uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, remember, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And uh, we'll see you here next Thursday, uh, hopefully, God willing, 930 p.m. and i've got to play the old exit audio because my system crashed and it's going to be oh i don't even have exit audio what should i play josh as an exit audio you got any you got any uh suggestions here oh my goodness i have no idea what you've got pulled up on your soundboard oh my god i I couldn't even venture to guess it's not even a soundboard it's the um um oh here we go Let's leave out with an old one from Miss Utah um, last year. So here we go. A recent report shows that in 40% of American families with children, women are the primary earners, yet they continue to earn less than men. What does this say about society? I think we can relate this back to education and how we are continuing to try to strive 
figure out how to create jobs right now. That is the biggest problem. And I think especially the men are um, seen as the leaders of this. And so we need to try to figure out how to create education better so that we can solve this problem. Thank you. Thank you, Utah. Thank you, sweetheart. Think about how to create education better. We will see you next Thursday. Peace, love, and liberty, everyone.